Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. ask you to turn back to Acts chapter 13, where we were reading just a moment ago. <clears throat> so just a little bit ago, we read the sermon, <clears throat> excuse me, that Paul preached here in Antioch as the first mission trip continued. This is a different city uh, of Antioch than the one that we've read about so far, the one where this mission team was sent out from. Uh, I believe in the Roman Empire, there were actually 17, 17 different cities that were named Antioch. Um, So we read the sermon that Paul delivered in the synagogue there, but to start with this morning, we're going to read verses 13 through 16, where God's Word explains how they got there in the first place. And then later this morning, we'll read the response, what happened as a result of Paul's sermon. So let's read verses 13 to 16 now, and then ask God to uh, reveal his truth to us during our time together. Verses 13 to 16 of Acts chapter 13. It says, Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia. And they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. Let's pray. Father, I pray that's, that's what would happen here this morning. Um, we've come here because we do fear you and we worship you and we want to praise you. So I pray that we would right now give audience to your word and your Holy Spirit revealing its truth to us. Um, God, thank you for this passage of scripture where we're we're taught about a a pattern for evangelization, for being involved in the Great Commission, for making disciples. Uh, God, I pray that we would would do what Paul did here uh, in Barnabas because it works. Uh, Lord, I, I pray also that you would Uh, help us to persevere and to persist like they did, even when opposition rises up, when we're we're trying to do what you've asked us to do. Thank you for the truth in this passage, and I pray that you would write that eternal truth on our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage, in verses 13 to 16, the first thing we see here is Paul's method. He's got a new opportunity. Verse 13 tells us that this three-man mission team, they left the island of Cyprus, and they begin heading toward Perga in Pamphylia in modern-day Turkey. We're not told why they chose that location to go to next. It's possible um, just as they went to Cyprus first, probably because that is where Barnabas was born and raised. They might have chosen this location because it's very near geographically to where Paul came from. Uh, But we do learn at the end of this Uh, verse, verse 13, that this mission team went from three to two. John Mark returned to Jerusalem. I don't want to spend much time in speculating 
the reasons why. We're, we're not told what might have prompted his departure in Scripture, uh, but we will learn a few chapters from now that the Apostle Paul deemed it unwarranted. Whether it was or wasn't, it's not ever clearly revealed in Scripture, and I'll say my comments about that till we get to chapter 15 in a few weeks. But verse 14 says that Paul and Barnabas now leave the coastal city of Perga, and they travel inland. Uh, to this city of Antioch called Antioch in Pisidia. And it's here in verse 14 that we're reminded of what Paul's typical missionary method was. Whenever he entered a new mission field, uh, whenever he was presented with a new opportunity to share the gospel, the first location that he headed was the local Jewish synagogue. And it's here we see Paul's standard method of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would begin by going to unnecessary origin. We're given a glimpse in verse 15 and 16 uh, what worship in a Jewish synagogue was like at that time. There was no religious clergy, no pastor, you could say, um, just Jewish worshipers meeting together. There, there would be leaders. Verse 15 told us that someone would read a section of the law, and then a section of the prophets would be read out loud. So a section from either Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and then some Old Testament passage from Isaiah to Malachi. Once that was read, the leaders of the synagogue would invite a Jewish man who would be present to speak on whatever had just been read to give instruction to the people, to give application about what God was saying in his word. And the beginning of verse 16 tells us that Paul seizes this opportunity uh, to speak to all those who are present in this congregation. And he begins, he begins where they are. He starts with what they know already about God and who God is and about God's word. Listen, anytime that you have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone, we would be wise to use this method here that Paul uses. If someone knows biblical truth at any level whatsoever, we'll begin there. And you might think, well, boy, what they know is, is minimal. <laughs> Some of it might be incorrect or, or what they know really has nothing to do with who Jesus is or what it means to be saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, I understand where such a perspective comes from, but I promise you that's entirely incorrect. Do you know what this is right here? This is his story. It's his story. Uh, I mean it. From Genesis to Revelation, this book is all about God's plan to redeem those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. Every book. Every chapter. Every single verse. Now, it might take some effort to connect what is being said in a particular verse to Jesus Christ. It will, it will take biblical literacy on your part, but this is a successful, proven, evangelistic, you could call it a tactic, I suppose, to begin where someone is, to, to go where they already are. It's a necessary origin whenever you're trying to share the gospel with someone, um, to teach them about what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ and to be saved. And that's what Paul does in his message. We, we just read it in verses 16 to 41. He, he begins there with what they already know, the, the promise foretold. Um, the sermon that we read earlier together this morning, that sermon starts in verses 16 to 23, and he addresses you men of Israel and you who fear God. See, there are two different groups that were part of his audience right here. Every Jewish synagogue, you would have Jewish people, and then you would have Gentile people who were at some level of converting to the Jewish faith. The, the biblical term is proselytes. It's used later in this passage. 
Um, they might just be individuals who are lightly interested, or they might be someone who is close to complete conversion. And beginning in verse 17, if you remember everything that we read earlier, Paul takes them back to the beginning, all the way back to the beginning, back to Genesis, back to God's choosing Abraham and promising that his descendants uh, would be God's special people. He takes them back to the covenant that God made with Abraham, the, the promise that he would have a son, and, and the promise that through that son, through Abraham's descendants, would come a Messiah Savior that would restore this sin-cursed world, a Savior who would save God's people from their sins. Paul teaches them about their deliverance from slavery in Egypt, talks about their wandering in the wilderness, uh, their God-empowered conquest of the promised land, the times of the judges, giving them Samuel as a prophet and leader, and then giving them a king, Saul, that they desired, and later giving them a king that God desired for them to have, a man after God's own heart, David. And, and then please pay uh, special attention here. Uh, there's a segue in, in verse 23. Let me read that again. It says, of this man's seed, talking about David, that's who he's talking about in verse 22, of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, King James says, raised unto Israel a Savior, who is it? Jesus, a Savior Jesus, it says right there. So he's talking about the Davidic covenant, um, that David would have a descendant who would be unto Israel a Savior named Jesus. Paul started where they were, but he took them to where God wanted them to be, to a promise fulfilled, not just a promise foretold. That's all they had at that point, but to a promise fulfilled. And they had likely heard about John the Baptist and the revival that had taken place among God's people decades earlier uh, as John fulfilled his ministry of preparing the way for Jesus' arrival on the scene. They may have heard about Jesus and his message, or as verse 26 calls it, the word of salvation sent. And Paul's message here is that Jesus Christ, and only Jesus Christ, is the fulfillment of God's promise to save his people from their sins. Uh, in verse 27, Paul explains Christ's rejection by the Jewish people. The, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they didn't know Jesus. They didn't know the voices of the prophets that were, and honestly, to this day, still are read every single Sabbath day in Jewish worship. While they might have been considered experts in the Old Testament, in the Word of God, they had never connected the dots to, from a, a promise foretold to a promise fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They never understood. They were never willing to understand that in Jesus and only in Jesus, the promise foretold becomes the promise fulfilled. And Paul's doing that for them here in this message. And he's doing it for us as well. The essentials of the gospel message, they're given by Paul in this sermon. In verses 28 to 31, Jesus was crucified. He died on the cross for our sins. It was no accident. It was all part of God's perfect plan and purpose to save us. But Jesus did not stay in that tomb, right? Verse 30 gives us the joy of the resurrection, what we sung about this morning. Christ is risen from the dead, the very foundation of our own hope for new life in Christ now and eternal life through Christ. Look at that next verse, verse 30. But God, aren't those two of the most wonderful words in the English language? But God raised him from the dead. And God has Paul declare these elements as the essentials 
of the gospel message in 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 3 and 4. Paul says, For I delivered unto you that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's a gospel, friends. I know if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if, if you've come to receive the gospel, receive Christ as your Savior, I know that it's in your heart that you desire to share the gospel with someone. And maybe you get flustered or you don't know exactly how to do it. You can take them right there to 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 and tell them those essentials. That's the gospel, friends. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and then he rose again. Uh, that's it. That, that by faith in those simple truths, by faith in who Jesus is and what he has done for us, we can be saved. The gospel, the good news, or as verse 32 calls it, the glad tidings. And Paul's sharing those with them here. The, the life transforming, the eternal life assuring glad tidings. And then at the end of verse 32, you'll find the word promise. At the beginning of verse 33, you'll find the word fulfilled. And if you have a Bible, maybe a study Bible or one with some type of commentary or cross-references, you'll probably know that verses 16 to 41, there is a lot of Old Testament scriptures um, being cross-referenced here. Paul is linking, and in some of these phrases, he's linking everything he's been saying to God's promises throughout the Old Testament. He does that in verses 34 to 37. He's quoting from the book of Psalms. He's quoting from the book of Isaiah. He's taking the law and the prophets that they already saw as truth. They saw it as uh, promises made by God, and he's showing them how they are fulfilled and how they're only fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So let's wrap up the sermon in verses 38 to 41 now. Um, what is offered to us in Jesus Christ according to verse 38? What's the last few words there? We have the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that incredible? Could there be any better news than sins forgiven? Hold on just a minute. I'm with you. That's actually kind of a trick question. Because it does get better. It gets way better in verse 39. It says, and by him, by Jesus, all that believe. Who? All, all that believe. All that try and do their best? No. <laughs> all that help God out with this whole salvation thing through their own works? No. All who what? Believe. All who believe, what happens to them? They are justified. They're justified. Man, I get ramped up with that doctrine. You ought to justified. Uh, I'm not one of those people, I used to be, I'm not one of those people that like to put a lot of stickers on their car. Uh, I got a few back there, and they're important ones, but I had one made, because I, I just love this doctrine so much. The Greek word, you'll see it on the back, some people ask me what it is, they're like, is that Elfin from Lord of the Rings? I'm like, no, it's New Testament Greek, and it says, dedikaimonos, we are justified. I want to see that every day. Justified. See, forgiveness of sins, that is wonderful. It is. But God did not just give us a do-over. Amen? He gave us a done. A done. It is finished. By faith in God's grace to us in Jesus Christ, my record of sin can be gone. Forgiveness of sins. But it's replaced with. And that's the idea here in verse 39. It's replaced with the perfect record of obedience of Jesus Christ. That's what justified means, church. And do you see why I get all amped up over that? Why, why I have such a joy in justification, and you should too? Because if all I had was another chance, a do-over, as we might say, I promise you I would fall to sin rather quickly. And I need to be saved over and over again. 
But God, and there's those two words again, but God doesn't just take away our sin record. No. By faith in his grace to us in Jesus Christ, God gives us the perfect record of Jesus Christ. We are justified. And your faith in Jesus is the only way that that happens. As the end of verse 38 tells us, that can't happen by the law of Moses. You can never be justified by your own works. What you do for God or what you don't do for God, only by faith in what Jesus did for you. And Paul closes this sermon with an invitation here in verses 40 to 41, a quote from Habakkuk in the Old Testament. He says, beware, watch out. Don't let what God promises in the prophets happen to you. He says, don't let this glorious truth of forgiveness of sins and justification, don't let this work of God for you on your behalf, don't, don't let it pass you by. Don't reject it. Don't respond in doubt. In verses 42 to 52. Let's read those now. It's here we see Paul's mission and the response to Paul's sermon and invitation. Verse 42 says, And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And they spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. But then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold, and they said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing that you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, and they glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city, and they raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they expelled them out of their coasts. They shook off the dust of their feet against them, and they came into Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. You know, um, what happened is nothing more here than the power of the Word, the power of God's Word. Last week we learned that so far the only known person to trust Jesus as his Savior on this mission trip was Sergius Paulus, a Roman proconsul on the island of Cyprus. They've been going through a lot of cities. They've been going a lot of places preaching the word. He was the only convert so far. But that changes here. Um, verse 42 and 43 tell us about the response to God's word. It was different at this stop. It was varied. The Jews, they left the synagogue, but those Gentiles who heard it, they wanted to know more. They invited them to come back and preach the next Sabbath day. More than that, verse 43 lets us know that many, many of the Jews and the Gentile proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. They wanted to know more. They didn't want to wait a week till Paul would speak again. And it's likely that Paul and Barnabas continued to teach them about Jesus and what it means to be a Christian throughout that week. I would agree with most commentators on this verse, that, that this group had already made a decision to trust in Christ as Savior at Paul's invitation. It says in verse 43, that Paul and Barnabas persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Well, you can't continue in what you haven't come to yet. So what had convinced these people to trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior? Was it Paul's powerful oratorical ability? What Was it his preaching? 
No, it was the power of the gospel. It was the power of God's word. What, what does verse 42 say that these Gentiles wanted to hear more of the next Sabbath? These words. And verse 44 jumps to that next week. What did almost the whole city of Antioch come together to hear the next Sabbath? The word of God. Let me jump to verse 46. What did Paul and Barnabas find it necessary to give to the Jews first? The word of God. Verse 48 says the Gentiles who believed glorified the word of the Lord. And in verse 49, the word of the Lord was published throughout the whole region. So, so what's responsible for the awesome response at Paul's invitation? What, what's responsible for these lives? Transform the word of the Lord. Now, what alone is powerful enough to, to pluck someone's soul from the kingdom of darkness and implant it eternally in God's kingdom, the word of the Lord? What must be our, here at Dublin First Baptist Church, what must be our exclusive tool for successful involvement in the Great Commission? The word of the Lord. That's how life is given. That's how new life in Christ grows, Christian. It's the word of the Lord. That's the emphasis here in these verses, and that's where the emphasis must be here at our church, because that's where all the power is. Let me for a second return to verse 48. What an awesome description of someone receiving Jesus as their Savior, deciding to follow him for the rest of their lives. It says, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, and they glorified the word of the Lord. We often talk about our purpose as Jesus followers here at Dublin First Baptist. Um, I mean, it's written out on our documents and on our website, and we try to mention it from the pulpit or when we're teaching, that our purpose here is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what God's Word says. We didn't just make that up. We got it from God's Word. But, but like, what does that really mean? <laughs> that our purpose every day, when, when you wake up, God has given you life this morning to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. How, how do we do that? Well, we're told here, in, in gladness, Enjoy because of our justification, we glorify the word of the Lord, just like these converts did. We hold God's word as our dearest treasure here on earth. We actually live by its truth. We practice what we preach. You know, you, you can't glorify the Lord of the word if you don't glorify the word of the Lord. You can't. And now I've skipped over some verses in verse 45 when, when nearly the whole city did come together in the next Sabbath. Um, not, not everybody was thrilled. We find out there, there's some Jewish people who were filled with envy at this event and began to oppose the things spoken by Paul, contradicting what he said, even blaspheming God in the process. Um, here's the key. That happens when the gospel goes out. You, you should expect that. Some seed goes on ground that is ready to receive and sprout and bear fruit. We know from Jesus' parable that some seed goes on hard-packed soil where the life-transforming truth is taken away, where it's choked out by worldly things, worldly things like envy. And Paul and Barnabas responded to this opposition in verses 46 and 47, but by boldly switching their focus away from the hard-hearted to the tender-hearted to those who the Holy Spirit was working on. In verses 50 to 52, we see the persistence of these witnesses, the persistence of Paul and Barnabas. We learned last week this mission team, they did not let an unresponsive audience or an unruly audience detour them from their work, and they were not about to let what was going on here do it either. The Jews opposing God's work here, they stirred up more opposition and persecution against the mission team. It says they expelled them out of their coasts. 
So what did Paul and Barnabas do? They persisted on mission. Verse 51 says that they gave one final communication. They, they shook off the dust of their sandals, of their feet against them. Literally, I mean, there was a point to that act. Um, they said, there's nothing more that we can do here. Uh, only God's word and only you yielding to God's word will make a change. That's a powerful final message they gave them, urging those who had not yet trusted in Jesus to, to as verse 46 puts it, stop judging yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. And the mission team, these witnesses, they persisted on mission. On to Iconium they went. We'll look at that next week. Now, I'm not sure who's talking about, who, who verse 52 uh, is talking about. Um, does disciples there mean Paul and Barnabas? Does it mean the new converts here at Antioch and Pisidia? I would say yes, both. But when you realize that you have been justified, you can't help <laughs> but be filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? That begins by you doing what these new believers here did. They realized that Jesus came to die for them, uh, for their sins, in their place on that cross, and leave that tomb three days later. Also that your sins can be forgiven, and, and you can from here on out, and for all eternity, live justified before God. It begins with you confessing your sin and need for what Jesus did for you in prayer, believing uh, that God will do what he promised he would do for you in Jesus by asking him to be your savior. If you've never done that, do that right here, right now, even as I'm talking. If you've got questions about what that means, come, come and talk to me. Text me on the back of our bulletin, on our website. It, it tells you what it means to be saved. Make sure you've got that settled. But Christian, you've done that. Uh, it's a quote I reference often, but that's because it's such a treasure to me. In a world, we live in a world full of gloomy, anxious, fearful, depressed people. The Christian should be different. That's what we read at the beginning of the service. Don't be murmuring and disputing. <laughs> no, be filled with the joy you have in Christ, the joy of justification. You're to shine as lights in this crooked and perverse world. And we can, because the key to joy in this life is never you in different circumstances. It's you in Jesus and Jesus in you. If you have been saved, man, that is your reality, your reality. Eternally, you are in Christ. He is in you. That will never change, but it should change your outlook on life. It should change your countenance. Um, there is no joy like the joy you have knowing that you are now and forever justified before God. And those who get that, they have joy in serving Jesus it's not a drudgery. It's not duty. And knowing that you have a personal relationship with God the Father, the omnipotent sovereign of the universe, you're, you're now and forever his child, knowing that the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ indwells you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And that he desires to fill you with his love and with his peace and with his joy. That's what a Christian is. And that's how a Christian should consistently be, regardless of the storms, the opposition, the persecution that might come our way. If that's not been your testimony this morning, will you confess that to God and ask the Holy Spirit, I want that to change. <laughs> because God's just asking you to be who you, you literally are, joyful, 
because you have been justified. And when you are, you'll do what this mission team here did. You'll persist in, uh, as a witness. You'll be shining like stars in the midst of a crooked and perverse world, as Paul says in Philippians 2, per persistently witnessing of the joy that's found only in Jesus to a world that is looking for joy elsewhere and never finding it. And when opposition comes while you're on mission, let that joy propel you to be a persistent witness in what God has called you to do. I have Tommy come and lead us in a time to respond to God's word. And I pray whether it's in prayer or however God is moving you um, to respond to the truth of his word today, you would just obey him.